I describe prayer as my privilege and obligation of communicating with God. Prayer is nothing more than a conversation with God. It can be formal or informal. It doesn't have to be fancy or rehearsed. It's instant. It's a gut-level response. Talking with God in any fashion. I don't think that there is a right way to pray. It's a conversation between you and, and God. And I just feel drawn to Him. A constant communication with God. It's as close as your breath. Sometimes words aren't even uttered. I can just think with my heart and He hears me. It can be anything and God will still listen to you. When I walk, I pray constantly. And it's usually in the car, not while I'm driving. I love a long commute. I pray a lot in the car when I'm like driving, thinking about things. I feel like I'm always on the go. I go into the bathroom <laughs> and I pray in there sometimes. I can talk to God anytime about anything and He's willing to listen. They developed in my faith as an adult. It was kind of a struggle to learn to pray. First few times I fell asleep, you know, my mind would kind of wander. It is really hard to pray with four kids under six years of age. Sometimes I have to just sit myself down and say, hey, you're going to pray now. Like Sometimes I feel that my prayers are really selfish. The hardest time to pray is when your hands are dirty and you got mud all over your face and you come to God and you think he doesn't want to see you. It's almost like when you have a grudge against somebody. You don't want to see them. The blocks that I have, I think, would be when I'm frustrated, when I'm down about situations in my life. I guess I, I wouldn't trust it if it was just uh, preachers talking about prayer. This needs to be something that we all live with and like and struggle with. I'm going to move the tent here so that we can see each other. It's, uh, it's got to be more than uh, 10 years ago now. I was, uh, I was going into a health club in the middle of the winter. I desperately needed the health club. And uh, I, on the way out, double set of doors on the way out was a woman. I, I held the door open for her as she could uh, go by because it was cold outside. And, um, and she gets to the door and she stops and she looks at me and she says, Are you, are you that priest? Is that ever a good sign? Uh, are, you, are you that priest? And I said, well, uh, yeah, you know, I wanted to show her the picture of the kids, but that wasn't what she was asking. Um, what she was really asking underneath is, do you, do you know something about God? She stopped right there in the middle as the wind is whistling uh, into the building, and, uh, and she says, I, I need to come in and talk to you. My husband's dying. And we've tried everything. We've gone to all the doctors, and we've had prayer services, and they've anointed him with oil. I even started going to church again. He's, he's still dying. And I've got to tell you, Father, I'm mad. I, I, I'm mad at God. He doesn't seem to show up. I'm mad at the church. They don't seem to be able to do anything. I'm, I'm mad at myself, because if, I, if I'd only started praying sooner... If I could pray better, this wouldn't be happening. What, what should I do? 
How, how do you answer that uh, in, the, in the doors of a health club? And so I, um, I mumbled something, and I, I gave her my card. I said, I'd be delighted to talk with you about this. I gave her my card, and I never heard from her again. And I've wondered. When I think about talking about prayer, I think about that woman and how alone she felt and how frustrated. And I think about another guy who felt alone even in the middle of the crowd and felt like God was not answering his prayers and, and I thought, well, maybe I could introduce these two to each other and that would help. The other guy is famous. His name was Moses. That's not Moses, that's Charlton Heston. <laughs> Moses would like to have looked like that. What this woman at the health club and Moses had in common was that they were both being torn apart out in the wilderness. They were being shaped out there where uh, life is hard and uncertain. And when the praying that you do in hard times seems to come back, address unknown. Everybody spends time out in the wilderness. And these days, between racial strife and sick bodies and broken minds and bitter politics and tough economics and refugees flooding the borders, our nation and our community has been spending time in the wilderness. And that's just us as a people. Then there's you in your relationships in your stage of life, in your health or lack of it. Every individual in this room is spending or will soon spend time in the wilderness or you've been there in the past. And that's when we either experience a collapse of our churchy faith. I knew it wasn't going to do me any good. It's like you were buying credits with God by showing up in church. Or you learn to pray in a whole different way. And that's what I'd like to talk about this fall. Learning to pray in a very non-churchy way. Moses spends two-thirds of his life out in the wilderness. The first 40 years, the wilderness looks really good. He's in the palaces of Egypt, hot and cold-running slaves. He's just got all... uh, There's a God on every corner that he could talk to. Then he has to run away, and he spends the next 40 years literally as a shepherd... And the last 40 years of his life, where this part of the story comes in, he's back in the wilderness. This time he's leading hundreds of thousands of people who have just escaped being slaves in Egypt, and they've been slaves so long, they've forgotten all about God, and God seems to be leading him deeper and deeper into the wilderness. I think that's when prayer really becomes prayer. Listen to this prayer. It it takes place right in the most famous scene of Cecil B. DeMille's movie. Remember that? They've just split the Red Sea and they run out and Pharaoh's army gets whooshed behind them. And, And they go into the wilderness and Moses says, you guys wait here and goes up to the top of the mountain right next to the promised land to get the Ten Commandments. He comes down and they have completely forgotten about God and they're having a huge orgy celebrating that they're safe And they've started to worship other gods. And Moses is furious and he throws down the Ten Commandments. And thousands of the Israelites die. They're mad at Moses. Moses is furious with them and it doesn't sound like God is too happy either. 
that's when this very next incident takes place. Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 7. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent, a tent, and pitch it outside the camp and called it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent outside the camp. But whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people stood up and walked to the entrance to their tents and watched Moses until he went inside. Because as Moses walked into the tent, a pillar of cloud would descend and stay at the entrance while God spoke with Moses. So whenever people saw the pillar of cloud, they all stood up and worshipped, probably half afraid each one in their own tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face like a man speaks to his friends. Then down to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you haven't let me know whom you're going to send to help me. You've said, I know you by name. You've found favor with me. But God, if you're really pleased with me, Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways so I can know you and continue to find favor. In other words, I don't want to blow this. Remember, Lord, this whole nation is your idea, your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And then Moses said, well, if your presence isn't going with us, then we're not going anywhere. Don't send us away. How can we know if we're okay unless you go with us? What else makes us any different than all the other people in the world unless you're with us? And God spoke again to Moses. I'll do what you ask because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. That's where we get this. Twice, Moses says, Moses hears God say, I love you and I know you by name. God knows each of our names, each of our hearts, Maybe even especially when we don't feel it. The passage goes on. I will, I will let you know my name. And Moses said, then show me your glory. You know me, let me know you. And God replied, I'll let my goodness pass in front of you. And I'll shout out my name, the Lord said. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion, are called a confession. And then God said to Moses, but you cannot see my face. No one can see me and live. So there's a place nearby, and when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a little outcrop of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I, God, have passed by. And then I'll remove my hand, and you'll see me go away. But my face must not be seen by you. And when that happened, it says... When that happened, the face of Moses glowed like a lamp from the sight. And coming down the mountain, the people were amazed. Is that your interaction with God? You talk to God like that? God talk to you like that? Does your face glow after you've interacted with the invisible God? Sometimes after I've prayed, my face glows. It is red with anger. Or it is white with fear. Or my face goes gray with guilt, but I don't glow. And I don't see many of you looking like light bulbs either. There was a couple thousand years ago a hermit named Basil. Basil the hermit. 
And it was said of Basil that his life was like lightning because his prayers were like thunder. His life was like lightning because his prayers were like thunder. My prayers at best are a a little firecracker. But for me, the neatest verse in this passage, in the whole Old Testament really, neatest verse is uh, verse 8. It says, And the Lord would speak to Moses like a man speaks with his friend. That's what I want. I want to believe that I'm not just talking to myself here. I want that for you. I want you to have a sense of intimacy that God won't be a stranger i got to tell you, that only comes after years and years of spending time with God. You can have ecstatic moments, but the sense that God is really there only comes over time in the wilderness. For Moses, the tent of meeting is just one place where he meets God so he can concentrate. Those are helpful, I think, frankly. Sometimes you need to say, I'm going to go talk to God. My, in our old house, my wife had this uh, rocking chair. And when I would see her sitting in there, I would know not to ask for the ice cream because she was trying to pray to God. I have a friend who would drive 35 minutes every day each way to Edina. And he would say that it was great for him because on the way in, he would be praying for the people at work the kids and his co-workers. And on the way back home, he would be praying for his family. Each of us needs to find that place. But when Moses went there, everybody would stand up because something special was happening. I think that when you pray in the wilderness, you need to find lessons because you have a hard time hearing God. Here's the first lesson, okay? It's in verse 13 of the passage. It's Moses. Moses says, well, if you really are pleased with me, then teach me your ways. The first part of prayer is teach me your ways so that I can know you and continue to please you. Moses knows God loves him right then. God's just delivered them all from slavery in Egypt. He's offered the Ten Commandments. He's done miracles. He says, if you really continue to love me, then teach me your ways. The first part of prayer is saying to God, show me what you want. Teach me your ways. Moses has many ways. Your way is sort of your cultural understanding of God. Moses is multicultural. Moses grew up in the courts of Egypt. He got married in the cave of a shepherd, and now he's leading a slave rebellion. Three different ways of life. He says, I know I'm not supposed to live the Egyptian ways or the slave ways. Teach me your ways, because your ways are different than Egypt. Your ways are different than slaves. Your ways are different than America. Wait, wait. Is that in the Bible? Should be. Teach me your ways means that the ways of America are not always the same as God's. I'm not one of those who is a culture basher. I don't mean that we should say, oh, they're the enemy out there. We're the only holy ones. They're screwed up. But so are we. And what we need to see is that our culture, our way of life, often sets us up not to hear God's voice. 
in soul, in body, in mind. I am every day soaked in the ways. Teach me your way. I am soaked in the ways of this culture, this racialized, powerized, Twitterized, sexualized, videoized, speedized society. From the moment I wake up to the sound of an alarm to when I lie in bed at night, Moses turns to God and says, Teach me your ways so that no matter where I am, I can know that I'm living in a way that pleases you. I want to know how you think, God. So, if that's how it starts, if prayer really starts by saying to God, show me what you want, teach me your ways, how do you learn that? I I think it starts right here. One of the ways we get to know God's way is when we read God's word, especially when we read God's word together, because as we study God's word, God speaks to us. But can I just say, I'm, I'm praying, literally, for the start of our adult Bible studies and for the start of BSF and CBS this month. I think they are great things. But i got to tell you, the danger there is that when we study the Bible, we turn it from a conversation with God into an academic study. Or from a place where God is teaching us something to, we check off the assignment and Tuesday is done. I had a professor in seminary once who said, I wake up in the morning and I pray that this will not go from my notes to your notes without going through the heart of at least one of us. Teach me your ways means God speak to me out of your word. And in the same way, I think God teaches us his ways when we spend time with God's people. If you want to get to know God's ways, then get to know God's people when they are trying to act like God's people. Not just when we're at the Vikings game, not just when we're at the party. When we gather together and we say, what would God want us to do together? Then God is teaching me his ways. Especially when we pray together. The the third way I think that God teaches us his ways is when we do God's work. Hear God's word, be with God's people, do God's work. Sometimes you cannot learn God's ways when you keep standing here. Because you have to walk over here and then, oh, I can see it. But you could stay here forever and never see it because it's blocked. When we do God's work, it changes our perspective and it changes us. Some of you are here and that's a great first step. You need to take the next step and say, God, is there something you want me to do? It'll look different for every one of you. For some of you, it may be the mission trip. For others of you, it may be tutoring. For some of you, it may just be helping somebody with their homework. Teach me your ways may be helping the poor or holding the babies or a Bible study at work, asking a friend to take a walk, reaching out to repair a relationship. The work of God, done by the people of God, instructed by the word of God, teaches us the ways of God. Moses says, teach me your ways so that I can stay on the track with you. What happens if we learn the ways of God? Well, part of it, we we become a little more like God, don't we? You don't start to think that you're God. That's a different sermon. But when we follow the way of Jesus, we start to become a little more like Jesus. Our prayers may not start to sound like thunder, 
Our face may not glow, but, but maybe people can see a little change. I, I have a friend who's a dad of a four-year-old. And uh, he called me the other day. I said, what's up? He goes, best day of my life. What do you mean? He said, I'm out with, you know, I was doing one of those. I'll take, I'll take the four-year-old. You take the other six kids. You know, I was doing my part as a dad. And we're there uh, playing and, and goofing off and in the shop and just going through the day. And it's just normal. And all of a sudden, for some reason, I turned around and I gave him a hug. And I said, I just love spending time with you. And said, for the rest of the day, he said, my four and a half, for who you know, we've talked about demonic possession. This is, you know, who you know, this kid is a fireball. For the rest of the day, he is one step behind me, and he's gone. I'm just like dad. I'm just like dad. When I grow up, I'm going to be just like my dad. He said, it was the best day of my life. When we follow somebody else in their ways, we become like them. The second lesson about how you pray when you're out in the wilderness is found in verse 15. It says, How will anybody know that you're pleased with me? God, how will anybody know that you're pleased with me and us unless you go with us? If you don't go with us, we're not going anywhere. Now remember, they've just crossed the Red Sea. God opened the sea. God was with them. Why wouldn't he think that God will go with them now? Well, it's because of what's just happened. This orgy, this abandoning God, it's obviously angered God. In verse 3 it says, I promise to get you to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going to go with you because you're a stubborn, unruly people. God says, if I went with you, I'd be tempted to destroy you along the way. Just for a second, does that sound like God has raised teenagers? I'm just saying There are days, there are days when in our relationship we are furious. We never want to see each other. But Moses says, oh God, give me another chance. I know that if you don't go, this is the way of death. Unless God goes goes with us, we're just like everybody else. I'm no better than anybody else, absolutely. The only difference would be is if God went with me. Most of all, Moses knows that if God doesn't go with him, then the love of God doesn't go with him. And if the love of God doesn't go with him, we start destroying each other. God, are you with me? I'm with you. Are you sure? I'm sure. God, I'm afraid. Are you with me? I'm sure I'm with you. This is like the little boy with his mom, and his mom says, Honey, go in and get that can of tuna fish out of the cupboard. The cupboard is dark, and the kid goes, I, I don't want to go. And, and the mom says, oh, It's okay. Jesus is always with you. The kid walks to the door of the cupboard and goes, Hey, Jesus, throw out some tuna fish, will you? <laughs> this is a reminder. This verse... Go with me. This verse is a reminder that usually I want to go my way and have God bless my way. Instead of saying, God, show me your way and following God. Are you asking God to bless your plans and he can go with you then? Or are you trying to hear God's plans and be with him there? Do you sense God with you? Or is God only in here? I, um, I've been struck by the idea that 
when God says to Moses, I'm with you, it really is not always good news. In the sense that we think of good news. Gary Haugen, the head of International Justice Mission, has preached here a couple times. The last time he was here, he said something I wrote down. He, he said, here's one choice our Father wants us to understand as Christians, and this is the choice of our age. Do we want to be brave, or do we want to be safe? Our Heavenly Father knows that we simply cannot be both. You can be safe and not go anywhere, not do anything, not be any different, or you can be brave, and God will go with you, but you will be scared. God wants his children to become brave and promises to go with us far beyond safety. Are you thinking that you're with God because you're stopped here and you're not going anywhere because God won't go with you? God wants you to become brave and take that next step. Teach me your ways and go with me. The third prayer that Moses asked for out in the wilderness is something that we don't talk about a lot. We really don't have the, the language for it. In verse 18, Moses turns to God and says, okay, I'll learn your ways and I know you're with me, but God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. What Moses really means is show me who you really are. Moses is saying, God, I put all of my chips in this desperate gamble that these slaves are not going to turn on me and kill me. That the Egyptians aren't going to come out and capture me and kill me. That we're not all going to die here in the wilderness. I've done this. God, I'm willing to keep going. But show me who you really are. Just give me a glimpse, will you please? Just a glimpse. Sometimes we need a glimpse. Do you remember, uh, those of you who are a little older, the old Soviet Union used to celebrate the revolution in May by having a huge parade through Red Square in the Kremlin. They would have tanks and missiles and armies go through the parade, and the intent of the parade was that the folks in charge of the Kremlin would take pictures of these and say, this is what we are like. Don't ever forget it. That's a little of what Moses wants. God, I'm scared. These giants are really big. Show me that you're bigger, would you please? Show me. Do you need the assurance today that God is not only there, but God is more powerful than your money? Do you need the assurance that God can do more for you than doctors? That with all the paths that woo you, the path that God is calling you on is the best. God is asking for Moses to show up. And Moses is asking for God to show up. It's a mystery, but give me a glimpse. Show me your glory. God's glory shows up for people that are learning his ways and choosing to be brave and follow him instead of staying safe with religious knowledge. And when Moses went into the tent of meeting, people saw the glory of God in a cloud coming down, and they said, God is there. I believe in God because God is there. He talks to Moses. How do we see it? John Calvin was one of the 
authors of what we call the Reformation. And Calvin says, I love the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I believe that God has written a fifth Gospel, the Gospel of nature. When I walk through nature, I see the goodness of God. When I sing in worship, usually I see God through the rearview mirror. When I look back and see how God was with us in times beyond my strength. If you want to see God, get to a place where you can be quiet and then look at something like this. These are called the pillars of creation. They are clouds of dust that God seemed to have had some extra material and just threw them away and they are there, the pillars of creation. They are each a hundred times bigger than our solar system. When I see that, I go, God, you're a lot bigger than my ingrown toenail, aren't you? You are powerful, aren't you, God? God, show me your glory. Sometimes it's as big as the pillars of creation. But when Moses went to bed at night, looking at the stars, he may have caught a glimpse of the glory of God. You and I who follow not Moses, but who follow Jesus, we have another view of the glory of God. It says that at one point in human history, God became man, and John the Apostle says, and we have seen his glory. Glory of the only Son of God, filled with grace and truth. So you and I can see the glory of God and have it come close to us, but often it doesn't look like the pillars of creation. Our God takes on human skin and shows us the glory of God by hanging on a cross and saying, this is how much I love you. I will never leave you. That's when we learn to pray in the wilderness.